Hi, I'm Pastor Kaylee. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Wood Street Chapel in Fortuna, California. You can find out more information about our church at www.woodstreetchapel.org. Our study through the Gospel of Mark, and more specifically, we're going to be talking about the the ultra-popular sermon topic of the unforgivable sin. Yeah. (laughs) All right, everyone says. (laughs) And, you know, as we're kind of coming to this section, you know, when it comes to salvation, it can be extremely tempting to take the viewpoint that God's love is big enough to overcome any sin in the world. And you say, well, yeah. <laughs> Everybody says, yeah, that, that, isn't that true? Isn't that right? And, and yeah, it is. But then what happens is there can be this, this add-on that comes that says, and that because of that, when a person dies, there's no question of where they go. All people just go to heaven. And I mean, isn't that just such a clean view of how salvation will work, is that, that everybody just gets to go to heaven? I mean, wouldn't that make, can I tell you, as a pastor who is involved in memorial services, that would make memorial service substantially less awkward. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm chuckling, but can, that is a hard place to be. And what I can tell you is that, thankfully, we don't know what decisions people make in their hearts. I don't know. You know, it may not be something that I'm personally aware of, but that's not for me to judge. I, I don't have that level of judgment. That's a God and that person thing. But I can stand here today and tell you there is a hell. There is a Satan that is the enemy of your soul, and he is battling to get people to go there. And people do. So there, there, this idea, and it crushes me that even pastors take this view of God's love is so big, is, is able to cover so many things, is, is cover, so all-encompassing that even my choice to not receive the gift of salvation cannot separate me from God. And unfortunately, that is not what the Gospel of Mark tells us. And now everybody's like, oh my goodness, what? <laughs> Have I done something that is now going to put me in this problem? Like, am I now in a problematic situation? But in the passage that we see in Mark, in this section of Scripture that we're going to look at, not only does Jesus not say that everybody goes to heaven, right? let's call it the all dogs go to heaven uh, theology, that is not talked about in the Gospel of Mark. But he also specifically says there is that this one thing that a person can do that will result in an eternity separated from God. I mean, it's, it's very clear. And sometimes it is so easy to get focused on that one thing, that one point, that we miss the message that God's grace is amazing, so amazing that it can cover every sin in my life, short of this decision that I can make as an individual. And we're going to talk about that. And and if you're a new believer that maybe hasn't heard about this part of Scripture before, I I could imagine that at this point your ears are kind of perking up a little bit and you're saying like, wow, I probably need to know about this one thing that disqualifies me from the kingdom of God. (laughs) Can I tell you that this, this is a common topic 
at youth group camp. <laughs> because can you imagine as a teenager wondering, what if I've accidentally done this at some point when I was six years old and now I'm like going through thinking I'm like a, a dyed-in-the-wool follower of Christ, but it turns out I've been disqualified. I'm not actually part of the team and I thought I was. That's concerning. Can I tell you, I've had conversations with not just teenagers, I've had conversations with people that have been in the church for a long period of time. And this is still something that, that brings pause, something that brings question is, how do I know? And I think I know one reason why this is so, a question that comes up for people that are, are new in the faith, as well as for people that that maybe aren't as new. And I think it's because it's not a common topic that we talk about on a Sunday morning. I'm pretty sure I can tell you I have never once heard a sermon on the unforgivable sin. (laughs) And can I tell you, when I saw this part of Scripture coming our way, my gut reaction was like, well, maybe we could just move to something a little bit more uplifting. (laughs) But what do we know? There's no wasted pages in God's Word. So the problem is when we skip over these things, what happens is that each of us is now left to our own devices, our own experience, our own uh, ability to examine the Word of God to now figure out, like, well, what does this mean for my life? Which is fine if you have some strong biblical backgrounds, if you have a good grounding in the Word of God. But if you're a teenage kid at a youth group camp, you're like, what am I supposed to do with this? If you've, you haven't had that, that exposure to the Word of God, is, is how am I supposed to do this? All of this now becomes some pretty rocky territory where you start wondering, am I a child of God or am I not? And that's a pretty fundamental question that you want to know the answer to. Mark 3, 22 through 30 is what we're going to be looking at today. And let's remember something, that Jesus had just called his disciples. And as soon as he calls his disciples, what happens? His family starts rejecting him. Mary, the mother of Jesus, Jude, James, they come up to to Jesus and they're like, hey, you're embarrassing us, stop. Stop. And they they reject him. They call him out. Starting at verse 22, it says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebub. And by the prince of demons, he casts out the demons. And he called them to him, and he said to them in parables, How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man, and then indeed he may plunder his house. Truly I say to you, all sin will be forgiven, the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. 
So we see here that there's this, this one unforgivable sin, this, this unforgivable sin. Now we have a little bit of definition to it. Is it blasphemy against the Holy Spirit? And so the next logical question for anybody that's trying to figure this out is, well, what is that? What does that mean? What if I've done it? Can I accidentally do that this afternoon? And if so, how do I stop from doing that? Right? I mean, that, that is the logical thought process that we would go through here. So let's, let's set the scene for a minute here. So Jesus has been working. He's been conducting his ministry out in the, the area of Galilee, right? Out in the country. And we see in verse 22 that things have gotten to the point where the religious leaders have decided that this isn't working. At first, we thought Jesus was just going to be a flash in the pan. We thought this was just going to be some basic, you know, teacher who was going to kind of come and go. But this is starting to create some problems. And so the local religious leaders, they call up to Jerusalem. Maybe they didn't call, but you know what I mean. They, they reached out to the people in Jerusalem saying, hey, you probably need to come down and take a look at this. Jerusalem was the the big city, right? It's the place where the most educated, the most senior Jewish religious leaders studied and taught. And they were coming out to the country, out to see this country preacher, because they had some problems with what was going on. And so we see the, the Jewish experts coming from the Jewish capital in an attempt to hinder the Jewish Messiah. Wait a minute. The blind are able to see. The deaf can hear. The lame can walk. Demons are coming out of people. But we're not the ones doing it. So, as the the religious leader, the local religious leader there, I can't really argue with the results. I mean, isn't that what we want to see happening I want the blind to see. I want the lame to walk. I want the deaf to hear. And and I I definitely want demons coming out of people. But I would prefer that I be the one doing it since my name's on the door. But here we have this Jesus coming. And so I can't really argue with the results. So I need to argue with something else. And so since they couldn't deny Jesus' ability to do these things... They instead tried to invalidate his power by demonizing his power. There is a devil, and he has power. He does. And one of his lies is to get people to believe that he doesn't exist. He does. And he can wipe the floor with me or you by ourselves. But 1 John 4.4 4 tells us that greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world. And so Jesus wipes the floor with the devil. This word, this name, Beelzebub, is translated the Lord of Flies. Seems fitting. What, what do flies do? They, just, they land on everything Gross. You guys ever have, we, we occasionally need to have like doors open to get like airflow through our house and inevitably we get flies that seem to last for like a month. 
and you, you just can't get that one fly to go away, and it's just nasty, right? It's like landing on all of your food. It's you know it's landing on poop somewhere, and you know then it's landing on your food, and it's landing on you, and it's just gross. One time I was out riding my bike, and um, we have deer here, and deer get hit by cars a lot here. And sometimes when you're riding your bike, there's a deer on the side of the road. There's really not a whole lot that you can do to be like, here, I'm going to avoid that. I mean, you're on the freeway. It's there. So here's this deer. It has been hit probably a good two weeks ago. Very, very bloated. And there's just a cloud of flies. And you're riding through it, and you're just like, okay, keep your mouth closed. (laughs) But... The flies go to death. The flies, they they go to consume the things that are dead. And so when we think of the Lord of the flies, the Lord of everything that is dead, the Lord of everything that is wicked, the Lord of everything that is dark and gross and nasty, that is the enemy of our soul. And so they say that Jesus is casting out demons by the prince of demons. Since they can't deny that that things are happening, that these acts are taking place, they have to cast doubt on how they're happening. And so attributing the work of Jesus as evil is the first step towards the unforgivable sin. When you start looking at what Jesus does and you call it evil, you're starting down a slippery slope towards a much larger problem. In Scripture, this is taking place against Jesus. For us today, this takes place on a slightly different, with a a different appearance. What what are we as the church? We as the church are the body of Christ, right? Can you ever imagine a time where people would look at what the body of Christ is doing and instead of calling it good, call it evil? Yeah. Yeah. What used to be called right is now called wrong. What used to be called truth is now called intolerance. We are living in a time that wants to attribute the works of Jesus to the devil. And so we have this refusal of acceptance that takes place here. A a hardened heart often leads to irrational logic. If you look back to the Old Testament, do you remember there, there was an example of Pharaoh? And he was, was king over Egypt, and the Israelites were, were there, right? And they were slaves under the Pharaoh. And all of these plagues are coming against the people of Egypt and, and the nation of Egypt. And Moses is bringing this message to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. But he didn't, because his heart was hardened. He had had made the decision that that he was going to stand in opposition. And and in Scripture, it also says that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. And now we get to have that conversation of, well, wait a minute. What if Pharaoh actually wanted to let the people of of Israel go? (laughs) That's, That's a different sermon topic. We'll talk about that another day. Come see me. But 
Pharaoh's heart is hardened, and, and because he has this hardened heart, the idea of, man, if I just let these people go, all of these terrible things would stop happening. But once your heart is hardened, you have this irrational logic. I see your truth from Scripture, from scripture and I raise you my own more relevant interpretation of it. <laughs> Is that ever something that happens with us? Where we say, yeah, I know what the Bible says, but can I just say, anytime that phrase comes together that way, we need to have a conversation. There's, there's a question that needs to happen. I know what the Bible says, but no. Who else does that? Satan does that. Yeah, I, I know what the Bible says, this, but, but is that really what he meant? Did he really have this particular situation in mind when he said that, really? I mean, Satan lures us to interpret what is good as evil and what is evil as good. What we see in, in this passage in Scripture is that Jesus came, when he's talking about binding up the, the man, right, and, and then pl- being able to plunder the house, Jesus came to bind up the enemy. He came to bind up Satan, the person and work of Satan, and to plunder the house. Thank you, Jesus. The Pharisees and the li- religious leaders of the time were not strong enough to take on Satan by themselves. And I mean, do you guys remember a couple of weeks ago, we had this example where there's this demon-possessed man coming into the synagogue. He's coming to church. And he's been coming to church. And he's, he's making a mess of everything. He's, he's speaking out in the middle of, of the, the service. And Jesus says, be clean. Right? And he calls out the demon. He removes the demon from this man. The Pharisees and the religious leaders weren't able to do that. They had just been doing church, and yeah, he's just comfortable hanging out there. But when Jesus shows up, the person and the works of the enemy are cast out. Jesus says, you needed someone stronger to handle the enemy, and I'm here now. I am the strong man who has come to tear down the works of the enemy. And did you know that it's, it's not a fair fight? Sometimes there's this, this dualistic approach where we think it's, it's you know, yin and yang and that there's this, this epic battle between good and evil and, man, I sure hope good wins. This is not a question. It's not a close fight. I don't even know if we can call it a fight. The battle has already been won. And so we have now this refusal of salvation that is taking place. So first there's this question of of saying, you know, these things that are good we're now calling evil. And then there's this refusal of salvation that takes place. What we see in verse 28, it says, all sin will be forgiven. There is not a momentary sin so heinous that it is beyond God's forgiveness. Did you know that? There is nothing that you can do that is so bad that God can't forgive it. I mean, when you watch the news and you see some of the evil things that take place in this world, when you see what people are doing to children, 
When you see what, what people are doing, when you see that there are rapists, there are murderers, there are, are people that are stealing, there are people that are, are killing multiple people, you see all of these terrible things that are taking place. And it is so easy to look at that and say, how on earth could anyone forgive what that person is doing? That is unforgivable. And it is, it is without God. But God's love is bigger. And it is able to overcome those momentary sins in ways that, that we just can't even comprehend as humans. When we look at people in Scripture, we see that many of them had terrible, terrible backgrounds, had terrible sin that existed in, in their life history. I mean, look at Paul. You know, most of the time when we think about Paul, we think about the epistle writing Paul. We think about the letters that Paul writes, the fact that he is the most influential apostle to the Gentiles. We think about all of those things. We don't really think about the fact that prior to that, Paul was murdering pastors. Paul was murdering missionaries. Paul was seeking out the the people that were uh, attending the churches of that time and rounding them up to be killed. And God forgives. There is no sin that can't be forgiven. Blasphemy. What, what is blasphemy? We, 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 that's not a word we use on a day-to-day basis. I think the, the best definition is blasphemy is defiant irreverence. Defiant irreverence. And yet it can be forgiven. Maybe you hear people say, God damn. Maybe you, you hear people use the, the name of the Lord in vain and you, you hear those types of, of irreverent things being said. Those things are considered blasphemy. I mean, that's defiant irreverence. And yet Jesus said, I can forgive that. My, my love is enough to cover that. The, the blood that will be shed on the cross is enough to, to cover that. And then we have this blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And this is the, the unforgivable sin. And, and now, now tell me, I know, tell me how that I can know that I haven't committed this one. <laughs> In verses 29 through 30, we see, verse 29, it says, But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And this is where if we were writing the the book of Mark, we would have said, okay, let's just stop right there. I mean, that seems like a pretty good climax of that statement. But then he goes on to verse 30 and says, For they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now, why was that so important? Why, why did that little part of the verse need to get added on? That, that doesn't really seem like it would be relevant. But Jesus is reminding us that these people believe that he's evil. These people don't believe that Jesus is Lord and the Holy Spirit is the one who points out who the Lord is. And when you are defiantly irreverent against the Holy Spirit, you are saying that I do not believe what it is that you are telling me about Jesus. I don't, I I understand that you are telling me that Jesus is Lord and I am telling you that you are wrong. 
The unforgivable sin is defiantly and ultimately refusing to accept the Holy Spirit's declaration that Jesus is Lord. And so I'm hoping that this is starting to kind of click a little bit, that the reason it becomes the unforgivable sin is because you are choosing to refuse the forgiveness of that sin. That, that's why. It has nothing to do with, oh, God just had this one on the top shelf and it was really important. No, you have once again gotten in the way of your own salvation by saying, I'm not going to accept the salvation that has been made available to me. I'm going to refuse it. And in doing so, I'm blaspheming what the Holy Spirit is saying, that Jesus Christ is Lord. I I disagree. I don't believe. And therefore, I'm going to go this on my own. It's coming to this place of stating, I will not and I do not believe that Jesus is Lord. Now, hold on for just a minute. Right before these verses, we talked about what happened, right? Jesus' mother and brothers rebuke Jesus and say, stop embarrassing us. Who do you think you are? Well, wait a minute. So are we saying that Mary has committed the unforgivable sin, that, that Jude and James have committed the unforgivable sin, and they're actually not in heaven? I'm pretty sure that's not the case. The unforgivable sin is not this momentary statement. It's not this momentary thought. It is a complete rejection of the gospel. It is a rejection of the only thing that can forgive you. And this isn't talking about that one-time statement. This is talking about a continued and persistent stance on the gospel of Christ. One pastor that I've listened to a number of times has this definition of hell. Hell is God giving you what you have continued and, and persisted to ask for for your entire life. A person that is going to hell has continued over and over and over again to say, Jesus, I don't need you in my life. I, I can do this on my own. I don't need your input. I don't need you to save me. I, don't, I, I am fine on my own. And hell is God's response saying, okay, Here is an eternity without me, an eternity that is complete separation from who I am. That's that's what hell is. It's God saying, if this is your choice, you can have that. So, if we get to the, the, the brass tacks of this, if you are, and this is what I always share, if you are concerned that you may have committed the unforgivable sin, if that is the concern that exists in your life, the great news is that that almost guarantees that you haven't. <laughs> the fact that you care tells us that, that, that doesn't, that's not an issue in your life because the only way that the unforgivable sin takes place in someone's life is when they're repeatedly saying, I don't want the salvation of Christ in my life. Imagine being in a pool. 
Sometimes I, I swim in the, in the pool with my kids and, and you're, you're in the, the deep end, right? Or, or maybe at least in an, a spot where your kids can't touch. And so you're, you're kind of just swimming around and most of the time if you're Eve, you're like a death grip around my neck, like trying to drown me. Uh, <laughs> but eventually, you know, as kids get more confident in the pool, they're like, hey, I, I can go out this way and, and hey, dad, watch me do this. And, and that, that's great when it's just my kids. And then all of a sudden you get into a pool. You know, I love my kids. It's everyone else's kids that I have an issue with. Um, <laughs> And so, you know, you get some of these other kids that are like swimming in the deep end and you're like, are you okay? <laughs> or do you need some help? Like their, their dad's not in there and they're like starting to turn blue. They're like barely above the surface and you're like, All right, can I help you? No, I'm fine. Okay. Are you sure? Like, I'm right here. Like I could just take my hand. No, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. And then finally it comes to a point where you say, I'm, I'm going to get out of the pool now. Are you sure you're okay? Oh, yeah, I'm fine. And then, it's, then they're on their own, right? That's what this is. God is in the pool, and he is giving every opportunity to say, I'm right here. Like, all you need to do is just take my hand. It's, it's not even like you got to swim to the edge of the pool. Like, I am right next to you. No, I'm good. But ultimately, there's going to be a time where God's getting out of the pool, where that, that opportunity goes away. And so my, my prayer for us this morning, is, again, I, I feel confident in, in where we're, we're at in our walk with Christ, but I, I think it is important for us to understand that we are secure in the hand of God. There is nothing that can, can pluck us from his hand unless I choose to be plucked from his hand. That, that is the choice that exists. I, God is never going to force me to follow him. He's never going to force you to follow him. It is a decision, a conscious decision, a conscious choice that we make. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are continually faithful. God, we thank you that you forgive beyond anything that we could ever forgive. God, that the, the sin that exists in my life, the, the choices that I make that, that are counter to who you are, Lord, you forgive. Lord, we ask as we we go out into our workplaces as we go out to, to be with our families and our, our friends, Lord, that, that you would cause us to, to walk in security, walk in an assurance that we are children of the King. Cause us to remember who we are. Lord, cause us to know that, that you are in us and greater are you than he who is in the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. So before we wrap up, I wanted to actually take some time at the communion table this morning.
as we come to this table, we come to this time of this time of remembrance. where Jesus talks about his body being broken. We talk about his blood being shed. We have to connect this sacrifice that was given. We have to sacrifice Jesus' death. We have to connect the, the death of Christ on the cross To the grace that God shows us on a daily basis. When we're talking about this forgiveness of sin, we're talking about the forgiveness that where Jesus says that there is nothing that can separate us. There is nothing that can, can remove us from the, the body of Christ. Lord, as we come to your table this morning, as we come to, to remember, God, we ask that you would make your sacrifice real to us this morning. That the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this, and whenever you, whenever you drink it, in remembrance of me. Let's drink. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Come, Lord Jesus, come. God, we proclaim your death. We proclaim your resurrection. We proclaim your ascension to heaven. We proclaim your, your place at the right hand of the Father as, a, as an intercessor on our behalf. Jesus, you are a, a way maker. God, you, you make a way for us to be with you for all of eternity when, when we are helpless otherwise. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you'd like more information about Wood Street Chapel, check out our website, woodstreetchapel.org, or email us, info at woodstreetchapel.org. Connect with us on Facebook to stay in the loop. 